This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Friday, October 25th, 2019. And another day, another week. And, you know, we're almost done with the month of October. It's amazing to me how fast things go by. So, that's just the way it is, I guess. We can just day by day, things move, and we just have to put up with it. There's certainly nothing we can do about it. Uh, not much in the economic news this week. I don't know if you noticed that. We had a lot of earnings reports, though. A lot of earnings reports. So, we'll maybe we can get a little bit more detail into those. Um, California wildfires are... You know, it's is uh, something that's unpredictable, right? The power utility company PG&E is being blamed again for the fires, and and now a prominent analyst is predicting that PG&E stock could be worth zero. It's five dollars now. We halted the trade today and then restarted. Do you know? I've had people call me in the last year. Should I buy PG&E? I mean, it's a utility. It can't go out of business. Yes, it can. It can, you know, the when I say it can go out of business, well, what it can do is reorganize, get rid of all the shareholders. They get zero and then come back out. But don't, don't, you know, it's not a good investment. It's never, never has been since we've known that they caused the fires. Always, there's lots of variables at part you know, at work here, and what is a good solid company one day could be not so good and solid the next. PG and E is a good example of that. That's why even when you buy big blue chip stocks, you can't just relax. You still have to keep an eye on what, what's driving them. You can't just ignore it. I'm Steve Peasley, and I thank you for joining me. I hope you also give me a call because you drive the show in any direction you want it to go. You take charge with your phone calls and your questions. And remember, all this is about you know us, us getting to the goal of financial freedom. We all want it. We'll get there. I'll get there. You know, I think I'm already there for myself, but, you know, I want to help drag everybody else with me. Why not? It's kind of what we all should be doing, shouldn't we? So to do that, I need your questions. You need to ask questions, and maybe we can help uh, guide you in the proper direction. So give me a call. The anytime listener line number is open. The number is 888-99-CHART. And a reminder, I will be in New York City less than two weeks. It'll be two weeks from yesterday on November 7th and 8th and I have a couple slots left on the 8th uh, so if you want to meet with me for no cost portfolio reviews and consultations and discuss how I can help you maybe manage your funds or just answer a bunch of questions for you and put you in the right direction that's when to do it uh, so give me a call or you can go to my investtalk.com and just send me an email Okay, send me an email, investtalk.com, and say you want a set of appointment. There's many ways to get a hold of me. My main talking point today concerns a story about durable goods orders. They have slipped. Is this a bad sign for the economy? We're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. I mentioned it yesterday. I'll break it down. Also, I want to talk about can we have a Japanese-like collapse? Do you remember the Nikkei collapsing, how far it went in 1990? Can we have that kind of collapse? I'll tell you what size that collapse is and why I'm even suggesting it's a possibility. 
Also, is a million dollars enough to retire on? Do the survey. Do you think it's enough? Give you that kind of information. And trade with China. You know, and we had a partial phase one or whatever you want to call it. They're talking about being close to finalization. Let's talk about what does that really mean for and for whom? Who's going to benefit the most? Why would that happen like that? Uh, maybe I'm a little cynical, but we'll talk about that. The market was up today, 153 points on the Dow, 57 on the Nasdaq, 12 on the S&P. And intraday, the S&P did break to a brand new high. I mean, we're right there with these major indexes. Not as close with the overall market, but with the major indexes, we're right right around that, that the uh, new uh, high, period. Brand new high. So, are we going to maintain that? Now, it's been up here now two or three times here in the last five or six months and then goes back down. Are we going to have that same thing happen or are we breaking the new highs? For us to go to another leg of a bull market phase, we need to break through this high with some gusto. High volume, high, high volume on shares and you know a clear price breakout. We don't have that yet. But the market is crawling up this wall of worry here the last couple, three weeks. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about, people. It's up to you. What do you want to talk about? So, but let's go ahead and take a question. We might as well get started on that. We, you know we have lots of listener line questions. People call and leave in questions, and we have to get to them. The number is 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. Mike from New York. I think it's best if you guys go over tax ramifications uh, specifically on, I know you guys talk about gold and kind of some precious metals and the mining indexes, just over capital gains and the rates you would pay. I think some of those are a little misleading on the, the GLD and then as opposed to the miners. Looking forward to hearing your response. Okay, capital gains taxes on... Okay, any kind of capital gains are short-term and long-term capital gains, and those two are treated differently tax-wise. A short-term capital gain is when you buy something today or within the last 12 months, you bought something and sold it within the last 12 months. That's short-term capital gains. So if you bought something for a dollar and sold it for a dollar fifty, you made fifty cents capital gains. You had to pay tax on that, capital gains tax. And if it's within one year buying and selling, the short-term capital gains tax rate is the same as your ordinary income tax rate. If you hold something for 12 months or longer, it's called a long-term capital gains, and that is taxed at 20%. Whatever the gain was, 20%. So, you know, what makes it a little bit different when you're talking about ETFs and mutual funds is that they can have, you know, in a managed mutual fund, for instance, a manager can buy and sell things in that fund and they don't pay capital gains. They don't declare the capital gains until toward the end of the year. And that's when you pay capital gains tax. And you don't really pay it. What happens is how you pay it is your, they pay it and then the day they pay it, your fund, whatever mutual fund you're in, goes down by that amount that they had to pay capital gains. So, in essence, you could buy the fund today, they pay capital gains tomorrow, and you never got any of the gain. Okay? 
<laughs> but you had to pay for it. So you got to be aware of how all that works. Okay, everybody. Good question, though. Thank you. Appreciate that. This is the best talk streaming live Monday through Friday in the four o'clock hour Pacific time, and I'm available. It is available free down for a free download as uh, you know a condensed podcast. We take out a lot of the, almost all the commercials. You can browse by topic at investtalk.com, and you can also download, rate, and review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Tell your friends, please. I really would appreciate it. And now I'm here taking your financial investment questions live, 888-99-CHART. It's a Friday, and you are working to achieve financial freedom. Okay, and if you find any extra time over the weekend, you might do a little web surfing to investtalk.com. There's a wealth of investment guidance online, and you can read about the many strategic investing programs offered by KPP Financial. But for now, Steve Peasley is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. It's okay, let's look at some some numbers. Uh, gold was up 1505, back up above 1500 dollars an ounce. So it's making a move again. Slowly climbing. Let me take a look at a chart for gold while I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, gold, as you know, it's had a nice run this year. Um, then it, last two months, it kind of dipped down. It looks like it's trying to make another run um, up in the last three or four days, five days. And you compare that with the dollar. Remember, if the dollar gets weak, gold goes up usually. Um, and the dollar actually in the last three, four days has gone up. But two weeks before that was falling, and so was gold. So there's been kind of a little disconnect between gold and the dollar recently. I'm not sure why. The 10-year and 2-year treasury is still in the normal yield curve. So that's good. It's, I will report to you if it starts to flirt with being inverted again. Remember, an inversion curve means the two-year is paying more than the 10-year in yield, and that is a signal of recession. And we had that happen a couple of months ago, month, month and a half ago, I don't remember, where it was inverted, but not for very long. And oil pretty much stays the same at its recent lows, about $56, $57 a barrel. And so that means gasoline is about the same. Nothing surprising there. The reason why I bring that up is oil is very important. It affects retail sales. You got to know how that affects it. So if retail sales go down, but most of it because because the cost of gasoline went down, then are we really having weaker retail sales? If it's only because it's cheap, you know, gasoline got cheaper, and vice versa on the upside. So you always got to think about that. Okay. Um, Let's go ahead and go and take a call. Let's talk to Tony in San Jose. Let's talk about Bank of America. How you doing, Tony? Hey, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. I've got a question on Thank Bank you. of America, BAC. Uh, I got some uh, shares, and I was wondering, uh, should I sell it and take the profit, or uh, should I hold? Well, it broke to new highs, so I probably wouldn't take the profits now. It broke out three or four days ago to a new 52-week high. Whenever that happens, it's on a it's on a run. You kind of want to follow the run as you know when it's doing it. You don't cuz no one knows where it's going to stop. 
Uh, Bank of America, global holding company offering banking and non-banking financial services, U.S. and 35 other countries. It's huge, $295 billion company. It's grown 3 to 7% sales. Earnings are $2.98, and the stock is at $31.72. So that tells you the stock is about 11 PE, and that's not that's not very expensive. So it's not like, well, it's gone up and it's getting very expensive. Maybe we should take some profits. Uh, no, it's gone up, new 52-week high. But it, but it should, you know, continue up based on the valuation. There's nothing wrong with it. it. Pays a 2.3% dividend. Don't be surprised if it gives back a little bit of this recent gain. It probably will, but I don't think that's necessarily a reason to sell. I'd probably hold on to it. Tony, thanks for the call. Okay, BAC is Bank of America. Everybody, thanks for the call. I really do appreciate it. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight. Um, can we have a Japanese-like collapse? Remember that happened in 1990. I don't know if you remember. The, the Nikkei was, I, I think it got to about 40,000. And it collapsed to down below 10. And it really hasn't made, it's not even even halfway back up to 40,000. So we're talking since 1990. Okay, now. How can it have that? Well, some people are speculating that back in that time, the Japanese market, the Nikkei, was about 140% when valuation, overall valuation, to the GDP of Japan. So its gross domestic product was, let's say, $10 billion. I don't remember the number. And the market, Nikkei, was worth 40% more than that, so $14 billion. And that's when it collapsed. Well, guess who's doing that right now? How about our market? The S&P is 140% of the GDP. So now people are making comparisons. Now, I'm, I thought about this for a while. I think you're comparing apples and oranges. Economies are vastly different. Japan was an export economy. Japan had uh, very little, has very few young people. They have an old population that was getting older. There's certain reasons why they're not able to come back, which we don't have. So, just a reminder, 2000, remember the dot-com? The Nasdaq fell 80%. So, <laughs> you know, took in, in 30, 30 months. Just remember that. On the next Investcop, on the next Investcop, we'll talk about government's wipeout of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. 888-99 charge our number. The clock is ticking. And serious investors living anywhere in the New York City area will have to act quickly if they want to sit down with Steve Peasley for his no-cost portfolio review consultations. Steve will be in New York for two days, November 7th and 8th. Register now through investtalk.com. Click on Portfolio Review. Steve and Justin welcome your investing questions, and the InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open now. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278, my main talking point today. Well, that concerns durable goods. The durable goods order comes out every month, and I'd like to read it. I think it's kind of important, and I want to share it with you. Now, this durable goods report wasn't very good. Durable goods orders fall 1.1%. Business investment shrinks again. Is that a bad sign for the U.S. economy? Actually, it is not a good sign, and I would consider it fairly bad. 
But, but whenever you get the Durable Goods Report and a lot of other reports, you can't just read the headline. Falling 1.1% is a pretty good fall, but you have to understand what you're talking about. Durable goods, those things that you know last longer than three years. If you look a little closer, you'll see if you take out airplanes and autos, and why would you take airplanes and autos out? Because airplanes are very volatile month-to-month basis. It really doesn't tell you about the underneath part of the economy. The cars, there's so many cars sold and they're expensive. That doesn't tell you what's going on necessarily either, even though car sales are a sign of health or weakness, depending on how well they go. But if you took out those two things, you take the, the durable goods only fell three-tenths of 1%. After being up the month before, we're talking about the month before being August, the most recent month, September, it was up three-tenths of a percent. So two months, it was flat. Don't misunderstand me. It's still not a good report. But I need you to get a little bit deeper in the, the weeds on the report. Always look at it X X uh, airplanes and autos. Or look at another little component called the core capital goods. And that kind of tells you what businesses are doing. Those you, you just can't buy into the top line. That doesn't tell you the whole story or even a good picture of the whole story. Look a little bit deeper every time that report comes out. And it's like it's like other reports, you know, the new home sales report. Well, we'll talk about that this hour, but there's something else to look at. Don't, don't look at that number and say, oh, okay, that's good or that's bad. It's a, just a little bit deeper and you'll get a lot more information. Like in this durable goods report. Okay. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index for October that's now this month, came in at 95.5%. That is a bit, just a slight dip. That, so it demonstrates consumers, you know, pretty much overall positive. But it did dip. Now, I don't really, okay, this is just a personal thing. I don't really like the consumer sentiment report. Why? Why wouldn't I? Because that, Remember, I know that the, the economy is driven by the consumer. Yeah, I know that. And what they're doing is important, right? But the consumer sentiment is not talking about what they're doing. It's talking about what they feel. Now, they're making the assumption if they feel a certain way, the consumer will not spend money or spend more money. If they're happy, they'll spend more money. If they're unhappy, they spend less. And the problem I have with that is it doesn't always match up with reality. Why? Because sometimes a disaster in the world can happen and they take the resurvey when it's happening and the people get depressed, but they still spend just like they've always had. It didn't really change their spending habits and vice versa. Sometimes they change their spending habits and nothing's, you know, nothing's really happened. So I'm, I can't rely on that. And I feel just I feel too many people think it's so important, and I don't really think it's that important. I really don't. I want to see what the consumer is doing, not what they feel. And I understand feelings can result in actions or lack of actions, but I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit too nebulous for me. Okay? Um, let's grab another call from our 888-99-CHART number. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Barry from Michigan. I wonder if you'd give me your thoughts on VMware, VMW, and what you think about it. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Bye. Now, VMware is is, is a 
pretty important part. Oh, let me get over here. Let me type this in here. Symbol is VMW. Provides virtualization software enabling organizations to run multiple operation, operating systems. They make money. They've grown their money every year. They've done it pretty consistent. The sales are grown almost consistently between 10 and 15% every quarter. Very stable. Uh, they're going to make $7.29 a share next year, and it's a $159 stock. It recently has pulled back from the 200 down to 130 and then that's in September it bottomed at 130 and ever since then it's starting to run so I think if you're going to buy this stock this is probably a pretty decent price uh, the 200 day moving average is something you might want to wait for 168 that's when it breaks above that that's a much stronger signal that it's recovering so it's not over expensive it's a great company our regular listener line are oh, our our regular listeners are 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 investors who have the focus objective of achieving financial freedom. We all do that, right? The famous okay, you know who Jeff Bezos is. He has total financial freedom. He's a billionaire, right? So I have a trivia question for you. Okay, and so in terms of market valuation, how much money did Bezos lose yesterday when when uh, Amazon fell sharply? And what is his approximate net worth today? We'll have that answer after the break. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking with shared success. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Steve Peasley is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Hope you can remember that number because I want you to call and ask me any financial questions. Okay. Before the break, I asked a trivia question. In terms of market valuation, how much money did Bezos lose yesterday when the Amazon stock fell pretty hard? And what is his process net worth today? Okay. Amazon was founded by Jeff Bezos on July 5th, 1994. Not that many years ago, really. In Bellevue, Washington. By the way, that's where I was born. Bellevue, Washington. The company initially started as an online marketplace for books, but as you all know, they expanded tremendously, right? Video games, apparel, furniture, food, toys, jewelry, you name it, they sell it. 
Uh, and they surpassed Walmart as the most valuable retailer in the United States by market capitalization. Financially speaking, this has been a tough year for Jeff Bezos. Remember, he divorced earlier in the year. He had to give away a third of his wealth to his wife. Well, it was hers. I won't say he had to give it away. It was hers. So he had to split it with his wife, and she got a third. Okay, so he lost $7 billion worth of net worth yesterday. $7 billion. But don't feel sorry for him. He still owns 12% of Amazon stock, and that 12% is worth, after the losses yesterday, $105 billion. I don't think he has to worry too much about achieving financial freedom, do you? (laughs) I don't think so. So, anyways, there's some little tidbits of information. The KPP Premium Newsletter was distributed to subscribers this morning. As you know, I do it every Friday. Uh, in the first section, I explained that there was a limited amount of economic data released this week. Most of what we received showed soft performance. But the weekly jobless claims are still healthy at 212,000. I mentioned that anything about 300,000 is per- anything below 300,000 is indicating a pretty healthy job market out there. And we have been, you know, record lows for, you know, what, 197,000, I think is the record low. And we achieved that not that long ago and still at 212,000. If you think about it for a minute, that record was back in like the 1960s. Okay. Remember how fewer workers were there here in the United States then? There's a lot more workers now and they got back to that low again. That's pretty darn impressive. I think it is. We had two housing reports this week, existing home sales and new home sales. Okay, new home sales, 701,000, slightly less than uh, the month before. And, of course, we mentioned the durable goods report. So, the housing report, that 701,000, that's kind of important. But what's more important and a leading economic indicator is the number of building permits issued. So, when you look at that report, Read the, the number of builder permit, building permits. They've been hovering around 1.2, 1.3 million. Do you remember, by the way, at uh, the peak of the construction before the crash of 2008? Do you remember how many housing, how many new home sales happened on a monthly basis? Remember, 701,000 today. Back then, 100, and, I mean, 1.3 million, almost twice as much. So that tells you how weak our housing market has been. It's still that's why they have a shortage of inventory. They're not building enough houses. And but the housing price did fall a little bit, by the way, according to that report. Portfolio management section. I just probably gave you most all the whole everything I talked about in that newsletter about the housing. Uh, in the uh, portfolio management section, uh, which I put, you know, there's four sections of the newsletter. You know, the main. Main one we just talked about. Then the portfolio management section. I give you ideas of how to manage a portfolio. Um, so, you know, I was talking about in this one how to transition from as you age from just a strictly kind of a, a portfolio where you're looking for capital appreciation to a portfolio that you're starting to look for income and how to do that. So, and then the stock ideas, I had a couple of big companies, I like the electronic gaming company, uh, and talk about the cycle that we're in, our economic cycle and the cycle of the company. Um, also highlighted one of the biggest independent refineries in the United States. Is it time to get into those? 
That's really what we were talking about. So, Consumer Watch, I mentioned expats, expatriates moving out of the United States. And, <coughs> excuse me, uh, and, and most, most of the time they're moving is because of a, a desire for better living standard and health care that they can afford. Two main reasons why people leave the United States when they retire. Of course, there's a lot of information, I think valuable information in the KPP Premium Newsletter. It's easy for you to subscribe. You can do it directly through investtalk.com. And then after subscribing, please receive, after, and after subscribing, you'll receive the full report every Friday. It comes out in an email form in your e inbox, okay? I don't mail it out hard copy anymore. I think that's, you know, no one does that anymore. It just doesn't work. So to subscribe, go to investtalk.com. You can sign up for it there. Okay. Uh, let's keep things going with another question from our 888-99 chart number. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Steve from Massachusetts, and I have a question about 529 plans. I have 529 plans set up for my kids, and I have them pretty aggressive in allocated mostly in stock funds. What I wanted to know is at what point should I change the allocation to growth and income or that they have a conservative stock fund. I have them in the Iowa 529 plan and my kids are 15 and 13. So at what point should I change it from just the total stock market equity fund down to you know, their conservative funds and what ratios should I use? All right. Thank you. Okay, uh, so he, you know, he, you're, you're, you would start off with growth, right? You're after growth in those 529. Those are college education plans. So all the growth is tax-free, no capital gains tax. So he's saying, well, when do I start getting a little conservative? Because if my kid is getting close to using the money, uh, do I keep exposing it to the stock market or do I take some of the risk off the table? Which is a very good question. Remember, your kid's going to be in college for four years. So you don't want to, you know, you got four more years of growth potential for the last part of that 529 program. So I would say now that they're 15, they got three more years. And I'd say when it gets to the like the junior high school year, to, you got to look at the market. Is it overvalued, undervalued? Where are we in our economic cycle? But I would say that would be generally the time you start to be a little bit more less, less aggressive, unless you're at the very bottom of the cycle, you know, the stock market cycle, and the market is really taking a heat beating. Then I'd probably stay in the market. It's hard to just say well take 20% and get this much conservative. It's, it's hard to know that, but I would definitely start migrating to a, a more conservative or defensive stance probably in their junior year. But not that doesn't mean get all, get out of the market. I'm not suggesting that at all. I mean, maybe 20 to 30%, you start getting more conservative, and then in the senior year, maybe another 10, 20%, and in the first year of college, another 10, 20% more conservative, just because you're using the money now in college, hopefully, if your kids go. I'm not so keen on a, if, I, if you have five kids, I wouldn't suggest five to five, 29 programs, I would not, maybe three. Why? Because you can change the beneficiary to any kid you want to, any time you want to. And what if you one? If you have five kids and two don't want to go to college? And remember, 529 is for accredited colleges only. So what if they want to go to beauty school or truck driving school or carpentry school? 
Well, maybe those aren't accredited colleges. Maybe they're, you know, they fight, you're wasting your money at 529 because you can't, can't use it on those kinds of things. Only accredited colleges only. I'm Steve Peasley, and you're listening to Invest Talk. So I think it's pretty safe to say that if you're listening to the show, that you're pretty concerned with your wealth and you want to manage it smartly and you want, you want some information. You want good, solid, unbiased information. And that's hopefully what we'll provide. Okay, that's what I'm trying to do. But you also have to understand the risk that you take and how comfortable you are taking risk. Okay, uh, and to do that, we, of course, we have that Riskalyze questionnaire that we have on our website that you can take and it will gauge the, your risk level from, you know, to give you a score from 0 to 100. And just so you know, 80 is the risk of the S&P 500. So if you have higher than that, you're willing to take more risk in the stock market. Lower than that means you're willing to take less risk and you're more comfortable with it. That's what it's trying to gauge. And of course, I get those numbers here sent to me. And then I report to you and ask you to send me a portfolio. We'll put that in the same software and we'll score that. Anyway, that's what all that's about. Just trying to give you understanding how much, I give me understand how much risk and you understand how much risk you're comfortable with. And then try to understand that you are taking that kind of risk that matches. That's really the goal. So go to investtalk.com, take that. Riskalyze questionnaire. It's pretty short, by the way. You'll have it done in five minutes. 888-99-CHART is our number, so give me a call. 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Here's good news for listeners in the New York area. Steve Peasley is making appointments for his in-person and no-cost portfolio review consultations. Steve will be in New York City on Thursday, November 7th, and Friday, November 8th. That's right. Due to strong demand, Steve has added a second date in New York. Is your portfolio performing at its full potential? Steve can show you how to get it optimized. For best times, register now and learn more at investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Okay, is a million dollars enough to retire on? So there was a survey and some studies, and I'm just going to you know wrap it up for you. 50% of people think it's it, it think it is. 50% think a million dollars is enough. Two in ten are not sure. 31% say no, it's not enough. Now, with people living longer, costs of medicine. Going up and not and less and some of it less and less covered by Medicare and the high cost of living. I'm going to tell you that a million dollars may not be enough. Chances are high. Fifty percent say they think it is. I'm telling you, probably not for most of us. Can you live off a million dollars comfortably in retirement? Sure, it depends on your standard of living. But I'm just talking about the average standard of living here. On either coast of the United States, the answer would probably be no. <laughs> it's not enough money, okay, because of the cost of living on those coasts. So don't, just, it's a nice goal. I want you to get there. But also, if you're living on the coast or a high, and you plan on retiring to a higher cost place, you it's not going to be enough money. You need more. I know that's disappointing. Now, if, if you leave, move out of the country, be an expatriate, go, you know, they call them expats, on a million dollars, you can live like a king in many places of this world. 
And the, and I'm suggesting that there are places in this world that has very good health care, very nice standard of living, and you can do it very easily on a million dollars in Social Security. Very comfortable. You can do it on just Social Security alone in many places. Depends on your desires, where you want to live and how much, what your standard of living will be. Okay? 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Uh, that's our number. You can call anytime. Remember, we'll talk about anything financial. You keep it in the financial sphere, and I'll be happy to talk about it. You move out of the financial sphere, we're not going to talk about it. The only time you hear me talk about politics is how it might affect our money. That's about it. I don't want to get into politics. You know, I don't. I, I, everybody has their own opinions, and, you know, it's really... I'm here to try to help you grow your money. That's it. Grow it, protect it, you know, and spend it. I give you, and you know my rule. If you spend less than you earn, save and invest it, like 10% less than you earn. If you're young, 30, 40 years old, you'll be just fine in retirement. But most people spend more than they earn. You just got to stop doing it. Okay, here's another call on our investment on our listener line, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Jay. I appreciate the show. Just have a quick question in regard to dividend payout ratio. Um, a lot of times, um, Steve and Justin will reference a company that pays, say, a 5% dividend. I'm just trying to dial in what you mean by that. If the price of the stock is $100, and the dividend for that year is $5, that would be, I would think, 5%. But if that same stock drops down to $90 and they still pay $5, does that mean they're increasing their dividend or would they be reducing that dividend to still pay 5%? How do all those numbers work? And what do you mean exactly by the 5% payout ratio? I will be listening on the show. Thank you. Okay, so we got some mixed numbers in there, okay? Let's take your $100 a share and the stock pays $5 a share in dividend. That equals 5%, okay? Notes, you're paying $5, so it's not a percentage. On a, You're paying $5 on a $100 stock. But as a percentage, that is 5%, right? Now, if the stock goes to $50 a share from $100 a share... The company is still paying $5. Well, $5 on a $50 stock is a 10% yield, not a payout ratio. Yield. So it was 5% yield, then it was a 10% yield. Don't mix payout ratio with dividend yields and the money they're paying. Percentage is a percentage of the stock price, but dividends are always paid out in cash. Cash. $5. It's always a percentage of the price of the stock. I'll get the payout ratio on when we come back on this uh, from this break. 888-99-CHARTERS is our number. We have a last section of the show to go through. On the next Invest Talk, a regulator says the government will wipe out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac shareholders if needed. That'll be Monday on Invest Talk. But now Steve Feasley is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Steve, 
888-99-CHART. Okay, so let me finish that question. I think it's important about dividends, dividend yields, payout ratios. So remember, a dividend yield is based on the price of the stock. So that yield goes up and down depending on what that price of stock go, does. If it goes down, the yield will go up. If it go, the stock of the price goes up, the yield goes down. Because remember, the dividend is paid in dollars. Okay, so it's paid $5 a share, whatever. That's what's important. Now, a payout ratio is a different computation altogether. Remember, if you're paying out $5 in a dividend, well, how much money are you making? How much money is the company making? If the company's making $10 a share and they're paying five of that dollars out in a dividend, that's a payout ratio of 50%. That's what a payout, how a payout ratio is divided. It's based on how much earnings and how much of that earnings is paid in a dividend. Payout ratio. We like to make sure we like companies that don't pay more than sixty percent of their earnings in a dividend. So that means that's a payout ratio of sixty percent, right? Five dollars. So if a company paid six dollars a share in a form of a dividend and they made ten dollars per share uh, out there, then that means it's a sixty percent payout ratio, and it's healthy. We're fine with that. Of course, REITs, real estate investment trusts, have to pay out 90% they're required to to qualify as a REIT. So payout ratio and, you know, remember, it all depends how a dividend is paid in cash. A dividend is paid not in percentage, in cash. The percentages are derived when you start comparing it to the price of the stock. BJ Fremont, how you doing, BJ? I'm doing good. Thanks, Steve, for taking the call. Uh, my question today is uh, about the cash uh, holdings in the uh, uh-huh. account at this point okay. uh, with market uh, at, uh, touching the all-time highs very closely. Uh, what is mm-hmm. the recommended uh, uh, percentage that generally people should hold at this point of time uh, in their uh, investment account? And... Uh, uh, the other method of hedging the account through um, uh, having um, uh, options or uh, shorting the stocks or uh, having an inverse fund, uh, what, what is the preferred way uh, compared to the holding the cash? Well, well, of course, it depends on you and how conservative or aggressive you want to be. We're now in the best part of the year, right? We're moving uh, through October. It's going to be ending. October and September are usually tough months. The market usually bottoms in October. Didn't last year, bottomed in, in December, if you remember right. Uh, but it usually bottoms in October. And we're r- right at its old highs. It broke a, a, intraday on the S&P 500 to a new high. But it's been at these highs three times in the last six months and fallen back. So it's got to break through these highs. When it, if it breaks through these highs, I think you get in the market. I just think you put the money into cash to work. Right now, we're sitting on some cash um, because I know the market is kind of overpriced, depending on how you want to look at it. But there are some bargains out there, too, that you can take advantage of. And I mentioned a couple of them in, my, in a premium newsletter. So I'm not saying stay out of the market. I want to see if we break through these highs with some gusto. And if we do, I think you got to get in the market. But, you know, the, we know the economy slowed. We know the Federal Reserve has been lowering interest rates. We know that the world economy is slowing down. We also, you know, there's a lot of 
plus and minuses. So I think you need to stay with the market at this point. And therefore, if we break to a new highs with some gusto next week, I think you just kind of have to grab it and just go with the market the way it's moving. And it's been moving up. If it can't and it starts to roll over again, I think you'd be cautious. We'll know more by next week because there's going to be a lot. I think next week's going to be important. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I I like to hold on to, you know, some cash at all times, five percent, ten percent, so to take it opportunities if there's an opportunity. So when I when you rebalance your portfolio and you produce some cash when that happens, I use that cash as opp- buying opportunities that might come along. Okay, BJ, good question. Thank you. I'm Steve Peasley. Everybody, geez, oh gosh, I don't have enough time. I was going to talk about the trade in China and phase one. Notice phase one helped the most farmers. Farmers. Is it, why is that? Maybe because the Midwest is very important to his re-election. Right? Farmers are very important to him. The Midwest. I'm Steve Peasley and this completes another Invest Talk program. I will return Tuesday. Justin will be here on Monday. And please tell your friends and family members, uh, you know, about the free podcast and radio show. I do appreciate it. You can go download on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Or you can go to investtalk.com to download it there as well. Everybody have a great weekend. See you on Tuesday. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.